Welcome to this session on abuse. Abuse happens, but how can healthcare workers help those women who come to their office or clinic and not harm? This session is going to present needed information on this subject, which you may or may not know about, but I want to give you background to equip you to respond in ways that help a victim feel safe and not shamed. Also to give you helpful ways to communicate concern, respect, and autonomy to help her make her own decisions will be identified. So what are the objectives? One, to understand what abuse is and why women stay in abusive situations. Secondly, to learn helpful ways to respond and to recognize the impact of repeated trauma. So the outline for our session is as follows. What is abuse? Types of abuse. Statistics. Flags when dating, because some of you might well be single and dating or looking for a date. Assumptions and myths. How to help and the impact of trauma. So I'm Poppy Smith, and let me share some uh, background with you. I am British by birth, grew up living in both England, Sri Lanka, Singapore, and Kenya. So I'm a third culture kid. I didn't come from a Christian home, but when I was 17, some British friends shared the gospel with me and I became a follower of Jesus. It was only a few days later that I began experiencing his reality in my life and it hasn't stopped. I met my American doctor husband in Nairobi and we married and then came to America where he began his residency. My ministry background includes 12 years with Bible Study Fellowship, which proved a wonderful training ground for teaching the word across America and in over 20 countries. And I also got my master's in spiritual formation and direction from George Fox Seminary. So today, my ministry includes writing, speaking, supporting women as a spiritual life coach and counselor. My first awareness of domestic abuse was many years ago when I responded to an advertisement for volunteers to work in a local shelter home for domestic violence victims. It required six weeks training, and I learned and saw things that were both horrifying and heartbreaking. After that two-year experience, I've had the opportunity to speak on this subject to Christian women at retreats and conferences, and I found that domestic abuse in all its forms is sadly present in the Christian community. Women shared their stories, their struggles to know what to do, and many urged me to speak out on this topic. Last year, I took more formal training to become a certified domestic violence victim advocate. So it is with this background and the awareness that injured women will seek medical care when they have no choice that I'm presenting this workshop. So what is abuse? Abuse is defined as any behavior that is designed to control and subjugate another human being through the use of fear, humiliation, and verbal or physical assault. 
The word abuse comes from the Latin and means to use wrongly, to violate, to defile, to tread underfoot, to sully or tarnish. And because women account for 85% or more of the reports of violence, and men about 15%, I will speak of women as the abused and the abuser as a man. But I want to give two caveats. I do not hate women, they hate men, nor think they are all abusive. I have a husband, a son, and a son-in-law who would never act in these ways. I had a gentle and kind father. I also acknowledge that some women, for various reasons, can be verbally and emotionally abusive. But no amount of provocation excuses domestic violence. Abuse comes in many forms. Here are some of the more recognized ways. Verbal, yelling, threats, name-calling that break a woman's spirit. You are ugly, you're stupid, you'll never amount to anything. You're a cheater, you're fat, you're a Constant criticism, you can never do anything right. Shaming and belittling comments, insults, and even the silent treatment where they won't speak for days and days until the woman goes crazy wanting to communicate. Or verbal threats that he's watching you and will get you at some point. Then there's psychological emotional abuse. Mind games where you don't know what you're being accused of. Mental coercion to force you to agree with him, go along with him, apologize when it wasn't your fault. Crazy-making, accusations, isolation and spying, even following you physically in a car where you're going, checking the mileage to see if you really went to where you said you were, um, just um, tracking you on a GPS, various uh, ways that they do that. And then there's physical abuse, raising his fist, poking, hitting, biting, shoving, slapping burning, kicking, even tickling when you say stop because it hurts. And often they're very clever not to do physical damage that can be seen uh, with a, and it's hidden by clothing. Then there's sexual abuse, rape, forced sexual behavior, jokes or hurtful comments, and even forcing you to watch pornography and be involved in those kinds of behaviors. Property abuse, destroying objects, throwing things, kicking walls and smashing doors and furniture, kicking animals, breaking things. And then there's financial, ultimate control. He decides who gets what money and where it goes, and you have to plead and beg for money. And he lies about the money, how much you have or how much he makes. So why do partners become abusive? Abuse is driven by the desire for control, to maintain power in the relationship and assume a position of superiority. If it can be done with angry looks or threatening gestures, he doesn't need to be physical because you will do what he says just by those gestures. How common is it? Well, here's some statistics. More than one in three women and one in four men in the U.S. report having experienced rape, physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner in their lifetime. 
IVP, which is intimate partner violence, accounts for 15% of all violent crime. Women with disabilities have a 40% greater risk of intimate partner violence in their lifetimes. Two in five gay or bisexual men will experience intimate partner violence in their lifetime. Two in five lesbian women, three in five bisexual women, and one in three heterosexual women will experience rape, violence, and or stalking. In 15 states, more than 40% of murders are women murdered by their partners. And only one in three women seek medical care. They will avoid this if at all possible. Nationally, 50% of batterers who abuse their intimate partner also abuse the children. Most cases are never reported to the police. And men who are victimized by men or women are substantially less likely than women to report their situation to the police. Because many of you who attend GMHC are single, I want to discuss what to look for when dating or wondering whether to date somebody. So here are some flags to watch for. First of all, is he frequently angry? Does he get angry if you don't take his advice? Does he display anger towards people or property, pets, his parents? Is he easily frustrated, impatient? When he's driving, how does he behave? When a waitress doesn't bring him the right food, how does he react? Perhaps he feels he is a, 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 a failure and he wants you to, uh, to buoy him up, make him feel better. And if you want to break off, he can pressure you with guilt. Maybe even that he will commit suicide if you leave him. And then he promises to change his behavior, but seems to show no guilt. He's suspicious of your friendships. He wants you with him at all times to know where you are and will track you. He tries to push you into sex acts against your will. Perhaps he has rigid role ideas, what men should do, what women should do, what women shouldn't do, and negative comments on women. These are flags to watch for, and it's good to, to know these and to be looking for these things. So let's look at some common assumptions and myths. First of all, that domestic abuse is found only in certain groups. This is absolutely not true. It is found from the most wealthy, as we hear in the news from time to time, down to the poorest person. It's found in every socioeconomic or ethnic group. Another myth is it doesn't happen in the Christian community. This is not true, as I have found out talking to many, many women who have come and shared their stories with me and have broken my heart as I've heard supposed Christian men um, behaving in, in cruel, cruel ways. And it's not just uh, men who come to the church, but pastors also. 
And I know some people are horrified by this, but Focus on the Family, a well-known conservative ministry, has support groups and resources for pastors' wives. Why? Because they are victims of abuse by their husbands. There are Christian workers in various ministries and missionaries on the field or in states. Then another myth is it doesn't happen among healthcare workers. I mean, surely no doctor or nurse or dentist or pharmacist or, or student in, in the healthcare area, surely none of you would um, be abusers. But it doesn't matter what your, what your profession is, what your training is, what group you happen to belong to ethnically or financially or in belief system, there, there are abusive men there. And then the idea that it doesn't happen when a woman is pregnant. Yes, it does. In fact, this is known to be a very dangerous time when you're pregnant because the man is jealous of that baby. He is jealous that you would pay attention to that baby. And the baby is coming between what he wants and what you have to focus on. One woman told me recently how her husband would thump her hard in the back. He wouldn't hit her in the stomach, but he thumped her hard in the back and hurt her a great deal. So it happens. The other time when it's very dangerous, and you need to be aware of this for your own circles or for your workplace, is when a woman decides to leave. Many women won't leave because they're terrified of what he has threatened to do. And then another myth is that women are crazy. They're weak. They're without backbone if they go back again and again. Often these women have many reasons why they do go back. One of them is simply fear. So some reasons women don't leave. She doesn't identify what happened as abuse. She doesn't realize this. I've heard several women talk about that, that I never knew until I got more information that I've been living with abuse for so long. It's just normal. And the, the victim can make up excuses for their partner. Well, that's just his personality or his father was angry. Yes, that's a good sign to a flag to watch for. He lost his temper and I caused it. It was my fault. I need to apologize. They take that place that it's their fault for being hurt in various ways. Or he's really loving when he's not drunk, when he's not high, when he's had a good day. And uh, he, he needs me. How will he manage without me taking care of him? And our kids need a father in the home. Then there's financial, a reason women don't leave. I hear this over and over as women email me or talk to me, that they have no resources or means to support themselves. And so this can, can be a strong reason to stay. They have no support system of friends, family, or even church. No low-cost housing is available, and there's no shelters to go to. And they feel shame. They see themselves as failures rather than strong and capable of moving forward. 
and they have to learn that yes they can with support they can be strong and capable of moving forward with their lives and then there is the fear of coping alone many women are terrified of managing alone they don't know how they will do it financially or emotionally or with the children and so they their self-confidence has been shredded by the lies and the fault finding that they've lived with that has just crushed any sense that they are capable of living separately from their abuser. So how do you help? First of all, find out the policies of your institution, your workplace. Is there training available for you? What resources are available to you that are provided, that are uh, endorsed by your employer? Check if you are a mandatory reporter and for what. And also, are there social workers available who have experience and training in domestic abuse? And then know your parameters before doing an intake. So you go in armed with good information. So how can you help and not harm? You're ready to do an intake. First of all, make sure you don't ask anything or make a comment in outside of a private room. One woman presented herself having fallen and um, cut her forehead as she was out for a jog. She came in with her husband and the nurse said, were you running from your husband? Now, this woman had a perfectly wonderful husband, but she said to me, if I had been an abused woman, that would have set the alarm bells off for the spouse standing there, thinking that he was going to be exposed. So be very careful not to make jokes or teasing or in, in the effort to be supportive and kind, but get them in a private room with no partner there so that if she wants to speak, she can. <clears throat> and secondly, don't allow children in the room. Find someone to take care of them for a time because those children can have been already told you need to tell daddy afterwards what mommy said. Then watch her affect. Is she scared? Is she withdrawn? Is she tearful? Is her voice trembling? Is she looking around in fear or looking down in shame, not wanting to catch your eye? And then be, effect, be aware of your effect around her. It's so important that you show kindness, soft eyes, not hard, glaring, angry eyes, empathy. And then your voice needs to be soft, not harsh. Remember, that's what she hears when she's about to be abused. So a soft voice, gentle voice, not one that's frustrated or aggressive. And so physical affect is, <clears throat> is important also. Any angry seeming physical stance where you're standing with your hands on your hips or your arms crossed, maybe glaring, or she's lying down and you're standing over her maybe in a way that's, that's making her feel intimidated. Remember these things, your face, your voice, your physical affect can trigger fear of being hurt or shamed or condemned. Further ways to help. 
assure her that abuse is never her fault. Again, no provocation justifies violence. Listen to understand her, not to react or to badger with questions or ask why or sound like you're interrogating her. Listen with empathy. Believe what she says. Ask gently for clarification. And don't criticize men in general or her partner. It can be tempting to do that and use some choice words, but that just sets her up against you and what you're trying to accomplish. Then suggest resources again. Do you have a phone number available for her? Is there a poster in the waiting room or in the exam room where she could get a number to call or some, uh, some materials, some brochures or pamphlets and help her find a safe place to keep it? One woman put a card with the local abuse number in her shoe as a safe place where her spouse could not get it. And then encourage her to make a safety plan. This is so important. She needs to find the documents or make copies of documents such as her marriage certificate, a birth certificate, the certificates for her children, any bank statements, bank accounts, um, credit cards, uh, many things like that, school records for the children, also some clothes, her medication, and her ID, and keep them in a safe place, maybe in a bag or a suit, small suitcase, and take them to a friend's house and ask her just to keep them in case you need them. She might need to escape right on the spot, and she needs to have those things. And then lastly, su support and respect her choices. She has reasons for what she's deciding to do, and it is her decision. So here's some questions to ask, but gently. You seem depressed. Is that how you feel? Are you feeling hopeless? And wait, don't badger, don't push for more quick answers. Let her Take her time to answer. She needs to find the courage to tell the truth. You could ask, does your partner scare you? Does he argue or swear or yell at you? Does he threaten to hurt you or your children or your pets? Does he isolate you from others? So assure her you are not a mandatory reporter unless there's abuse of children. Check with your state and your employer. Assure her everything she tells you is in confidence. You care and want her to be safe. And you won't call the police unless she wants you to. Ask if she wants to talk to a social worker. So trauma. What is the impact of trauma on the brain? So much research is going on right now. And so much more is known about the damage to the brain of repeated trauma. The brain is changed by trauma. The brain senses danger. It's an automatic response. And I saw this in my early experience of domestic abuse working at the shelter home. There was a little three-year-old there. And I went to pick him up just to play with him. And as I stood close by and raised my arms to pick him up, he shrieked and screamed 
and ran away. And I was, I was baffled. So I went to the director and I said, what happened here? What, what, what was going on? And she said, that's how he's been abused. People, or adult, whether it's the father, the mother, came physically looming over him, handing out, putting out his hand and ready to strike him, hit him, pinch him, who knows what. And his brain acted automatically. This is what happens with women when they have repeated trauma. It can result in shutting down, disassociation, just protecting the, their emotions and their thoughts to stay safe. So repeated trauma affects their ability to plan and think objectively. And you might think, well, it's so clear, it's so obvious, you shouldn't go back. But trauma has affected her judgment and it's impaired when it is triggered. So what's our privilege? As helpers, we cannot solve oppression and we cannot make it stop. But we can be used by a powerful God, a God who loves people and is always on the side of the oppressed. Jesus came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And you and I are privileged to represent him. Those who study the brain and trauma agree that a person's ability to plan and think is dramatically impacted. So as you care for the injured, the hurting, and frightened, remember you have a high calling to be Jesus to those you encounter, to share his love and concern with compassion, and to respect the choices your patient makes, even if that's very hard to do. You are not the solution or the rescuer. You are a link God can use. So may we pray for these opportunities and for the Holy Spirit to use us to bring inner and outer healing to the broken women we meet.